All right. Well, we're continuing our study of the book of Acts, and we're opening up uh, into chapter 21 uh, today. And I'm going to call this uh, Road Rules. You know, most of you that know our ministry know that we've spent uh, the better part of 20 years now on the road with Not By Works Ministries. When the kids were younger, they would uh, travel with us. There was a season there about three or four years uh, when we were at our peak where we were on the road 250 days a year, pretty much lived out of uh, hotels. And uh, some of our trips were 6,000, 7,000 miles long at times and would last two and a half to three weeks. Uh, remember one, believe it or not, we started in Illinois, hit several points along the way in California, headed to California, then back up through Phoenix and ended up in Michigan. And uh, so a lot of traveling. And often we would, we would have a family meeting before we would hit the road to kind of discuss where we're headed, what the different speaking engagements were, and who we were going to see along the way. And, and then we would get into the important matters, especially with kids, like who sits where in the car, uh, who's responsible for the drink cooler, uh, who's responsible for the snack bag, who's responsible for uh, taking the dog out, because Juno, our dog, would travel with us most of the time uh, at each stop. And, uh, you know, these were when the kids were younger. Now, last few years, uh, when we travel, it's mostly just been me and Wendy or maybe one or two of the kids at a time. But these rules kind of made the trip go smoothly, or at least that was the intention. It didn't always work out that way. But uh, we had several uh, rules when we were in the car. First of all, when we stopped, everyone uses the restroom whether you have to or not. Because if you've done any traveling with kids, you know no sooner do you get back on the road than someone's going to have to say, Dad, I have to go potty. Uh, when we would stop for gas or any other reason, sometimes the dog would get restless. We'd have to pull off at a rest stop and take the dog out. But whenever we stop for any reason, uh, every piece of trash in the car has to be thrown out. We do not collect trash in the floorboards. We put them in the trash cans. Uh, where we would stop for food, when we would stop for food, was by popular vote, and everyone got one vote, except for me. And uh, as the dad, I got as many votes as I needed to veto uh, certain. I mean, you can only eat at Subway so many times, and then you kind of have to draw the line. But anyway, uh, if you want a drink, this is one of our rules, if you want a drink when we stopped, uh, other than what we had already purchased in the cooler, then you had to pay for it with your own money. We do not buy drinks when we would stop to eat. And this was a big one for me. Uh, if we eat in the car, which sometimes we did, just the schedule was such that we just had to get a drive-through or get something to take in the car, I don't care what kind of chicken nuggets you have or what kind of meal you have, no sauces, no ketchup packets, no mustard packets, no sauces of any kind allowed in the car because inevitably they end up on the car seats. Um, it's usually the driver's choice uh, on what we listen to, what books on tape or music or podcasts. Uh, no fighting, arguing, or hitting. These are the rules that we would go over before we would hit the road. No fighting, arguing, or hitting. Uh, that included the kids, too. Um, but, uh, and most importantly, no stinking up the car. If you are the cause for everyone suddenly rolling down their windows in unison, you cannot blame it on the dog. We will not, we will not allow it. Road rules. Well, as I was kind of getting into chapter 21 here, and we've got a lot of great things coming ahead in our study uh, through the book of Acts, but as we open up in chapter 21, at first pass it might seem like just a lot of 
historical data, a lot of cities and stops, and they went there, then they went there. But I zeroed in on verses 4 to 6, and I, I see some parallels between a literal family journey and the journey that all of us are on as part of the family of God. So I'm calling this Road Rules for the Family of God. And in Acts 21, verses 4 through 6, we see that the Apostle Paul is at Tyre. Tyre is one of the oldest continuously inhabited cities in the world. It's in modern-day Lebanon on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, north of Israel, south of Beirut. It plays a very prominent role in the Old Testament along with its sister city, Sidon, Tyre and Sidon. But the time frame of this section we can narrow down very specifically because of the internal and external clues. And so the section we're looking at today took place from May 10th to May 16th in the year 57 A.D. It was near the end of Paul's third journey. We've been kind of hovering near the end of his journey the last few weeks. Uh, he's on his way to Jerusalem, and if you remember, he wanted to make sure he was at Jerusalem before the day of Pentecost, which that year was May 26th, uh, 57 A.D. We find out later he eventually does arrive in Jerusalem on the eve of Pentecost, May the 25th. But here we are in Tyre, and when he arrives at Tyre on his way to Jerusalem, he meets some fellow believers there. And, and Luke's account of his seven-day stay in this city is heartwarming. And we can learn a lot by observing the way these early believers interacted with Paul and with each other during his travels. So in the journey of life, what are some road rules for believers? As we go through life, whether it's physically traveling around the country, maybe uh, you come from a family like I did that moves a lot, um, moved a lot, or even if you're traveling around the world, not just in this country, just going through your daily routines, whatever it may be, what are some principles that we should <clears throat> remember, especially as it relates to our crossing paths with other believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, fellow members of the family of God? How can we make the ride more enjoyable, safe, fruitful, productive? What are some principles that we should remember that will build into our lives and help us grow closer to the Lord? So I've got four of them from these three verses here, uh, Acts chapter 21, verses 4, 5, and 6. First one is this. We should expect to find believers everywhere. We should expect to find believers everywhere. You know, it may feel like we're alone sometimes, especially in these days where Christianity is under attack more than ever before. Uh, you can feel kind of like Elijah sometimes. You know, am I alone left, right? Um, but we need to remember there are believers everywhere. And sometimes we get pretty myopic in our understanding of, uh, of, of life, and we tend to look inwardly and, and have this woe-is-me mentality. But if you get the chance to travel, what you'll find out is God is doing a mighty work all across this country, and really all across the world, of course. Uh, and we should seek out believers when we're traveling. We should search for them. There's a common bond between us, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And we can fellowship more freely and confidently with other believers. We have a natural camaraderie. If you've ever been out traveling and you come across a believer, maybe a lot of times, I'm sure you've experienced this, you might be praying over your meal at a restaurant and a family sitting one table away reaches over and says, oh, you guys must be Christians, right? I noticed you were praying. And then you go, yeah, we're Christians. They go, well, so are we. And suddenly, whenever you come across a Christian, wherever it may be, you could be on an elevator and they notice a 
Christian shirt that you're wearing or something. And the minute you discover that you're in the presence of another believer, it's like the whole mood changes. Now you just have this camaraderie, this, uh, this common bond. Whereas when you're meeting with strangers and you don't know where they stand with the Lord, it's kind of surface level conversation, you know. Hey, it looks like it's going to rain today. Or, you know, how about those Broncos? Or, you know, whatever you might say. But it's surface level. But when you recognize you're with another believer, it, it just, it's, a, it's a special connection. So let's take a look at our text starting with verse 4. The first part of verse 4 uh, says, And finding disciples, we stayed there seven days. So notice this is one of those sections on Paul's journey where Luke, the author, the historian, Dr. Luke, who's writing this, uh, is with Paul. So that's why he uses the first person plural there. But he says, and finding disciples, we stayed there uh, seven days. Uh, they had stopped at Tyre, by the way, uh, not by choice, but by God's divine providence. If you look in verse 3, I don't have it on the screen, but when we had sighted Cyprus, we passed it on the left, sailed to Syria, and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload her cargo. So, you know, God had led them here to Tyre for a specific purpose and a reason. Um, Paul's mission, of course, was making disciples, but sometimes he also met disciples. Many of them, everywhere he went, he would come across believers, especially the further into the church age that we got. And similarly, everywhere we go, even when our stops are beyond our control, we need to seek out believers. The Lord uses fellow believers in our lives. Believers can provide hospitality for one another. Listen to the way Paul puts it in his letter to the Ephesians. You are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Remember last week we talked about how our citizenship is in heaven. We should set our mind on things above. We're just passing through. Well, while we're passing through, we are all part of the same household spiritually speaking, brothers and sisters in Christ. He goes on in Ephesians to say, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. We're not only part of the same household, we're part of the same family, the family of God, spiritually speaking. We should expect to find believers everywhere we go. Look for them. Seek them out. Obviously, Part of our task as believers is to share the gospel, the Great Commission. So as the Spirit of God convicts you and you are you know, have an interaction with someone, maybe it's a, at a service station or it could be at a store, uh, it could be at a rest stop as you're out taking the dog, maybe someone else is out taking their dog, find ways to turn the subject to spiritual matters. And, uh, you know, that was easy for us because we're in ministry and we're headed to some conference or some church and you know typically when you meet strangers on the road at a gas station or a truck stop or something they're going to say where are you headed and we could always say oh we're headed to so and so we're going to be speaking at such and such a church and based on their reaction then that could engender some good discussion but the first rule is that we should expect to find believers everywhere i don't know about you but to be completely transparent i tend to sometimes gravitate the other direction I tend to think, wow, there's just no believers. Everywhere I go, it's going to be these liberal, progressive, woke, unbelievers, you know. That's not the case. God, this place is, this world is filled with brothers and sisters in Christ just like you. 
And as we travel, we see Paul here, you know, finding disciples, and we should expect to find them as well. Uh, second rule on the road of life is embrace the help of other believers. Embrace the help of other believers. You know, it can be hard to accept help sometimes, can't it? You know, there's a certain humility or transparency that comes with accepting help or advice or assistance from other people. We, we, we want to be able to do it ourselves. We want to handle our problems ourselves. And yet, one of the many blessings of being part of the family of God is the fact that believers are always ready and willing to help. You know, who among us, if someone came to us, a brother or sister in Christ, and needed help, wouldn't stop everything to help them? course we would that's the spirit of love and spirit of christ within us and rule number two is we must be willing to embrace help when we need it from any believers the lord might send our way so we see here if you go back to verse four paul they told paul these new disciples that he just met hey don't go to jerusalem the believers at tyre had heard what was awaiting paul in jerusalem and they warned him about it Trouble awaits you there. Don't go. Uh, of course, Paul was determined under the guidance of the Holy Spirit to go there, and he did eventually go there nine days later as planned. But the warning from his new friends, the believers in Tyre, provided great help and um, excuse me, and warning from him. It prepared him for what was to come. Maybe the Lord needed he needed more time. He was headed there, and God wanted him to go there, but it was all in God's timing. And so maybe he needed some time. Maybe if he'd have gone earlier, things would have turned out differently. We don't know. We'll never know. But the point is, these new friends of his, brothers and sisters in Christ, feeling led by the Holy Spirit, encouraged him not to go right away. Paul knew, of course, that he was in danger. He had, uh, We had seen this uh, in chapter 20 during his message to the Ephesian elders. Remember, we looked at that when we talked about repentance a few weeks ago. And uh, in the midst of that message to the Ephesian elders, he said, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. So he knew what was coming. Uh, but the believers in Tyre gave him more details and explained how serious the danger was. A few days later, while Paul was in Caesarea for a week, just prior to his arrival in Jerusalem for Pentecost, a prophet named Agabus would provide even further warnings about the dangers to come. We're going to look at that in the coming weeks. So do you believe that God puts fellow believers in your path at just the right time to provide help? Absolutely. Now, we've talked previously on a couple of occasions, I think, about God's angelic help, ministering servants, and how sometimes God may use an angel to help us. But, uh, you know, sometimes it's just good old-fashioned believers who are there to help because God providentially puts them in our path. It could be physical help, emotional help, spiritual help, financial help, advice. Uh, it can take many forms, but on the journey of life, the family of God is always there to help. Listen to what Paul said in the very first letter that he wrote. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, but especially to those who are of the household of faith. In the same way that physically, you know, our blood relationships rise to another level. We will do anything to help our relatives. We should have that same mentality when it comes to our spiritual DNA and our spiritual relationships. We should embrace help from other believers. A couple of illustrations uh, here from our own personal life. Uh, 
Several years ago, I was president of a small Bible college in South Dakota, working from Colorado, but kind of helping this school uh, kind of turn around. They had kind of plateaued and were declining, and they just needed uh, needed to kind of help shore things up and, and get their doctrine uh, shored up and a few other things. And so I was there and hired a couple of faculty members, one of which was a, a guy who had uh, I had not, not met previously, but he had... Uh, Someone had recommended my book to him, Stan Pons, in fact. I don't know if you guys remember Stan Pons. He's preached here. But he had recommended my book uh, to Adam, or Adam had somehow read my book. And anyway, uh, we got made a connection, and he was looking for a ministry opportunity. And so I said, well, hey, why don't you come consider this, this college? I'd love to have you on the team. And so they made a trip. He and his young family made a trip uh, to South Dakota. They were in Indiana. And uh, on they got there, and we... Had a great visit. They met with some of the other faculty. But on the way home, after that visit, uh, they were driving along uh, whatever it is, I-90, I think, that goes up across uh, South Dakota there, and uh, hit a deer in the middle of nowhere, uh, somewhere between Kimball and Plankington, west of Mitchell and, and west of Sioux Falls, if you know that, that area. So not knowing anybody, Adam called me, and he said, man, our car is, is totaled. We're going to have to find a place to stay. Uh, you know, uh, what, what can we do? So I immediately got on the phone and started, got on the internet, but then on the phone eventually, and started calling churches in the area. Just cold calling. Just said, hey, you don't know me. My name is JB, but I've got a friend that's kind of stranded in the area, and it's going to take a little bit of time for his car to get fixed. I'm just wondering if you could... Uh, you could, if you might have someone in your church that would let him stay with them. It took two or three calls. You know, I started with the conservative Bible teaching churches, of course. Um, but it, it took two or three calls. But sure enough, man, we'd love to help. Man, absolutely. A brother in need, we'll be glad to. And he ended up spending the night with his two kids and his wife uh, with a group of fellow believers they'd never met before. Now, if I'd have just called cold call out of the, you know, we don't have white pages anymore, but anyway. However, you find phone numbers now anymore. Uh, I was looking for churches, uh, and said, "Hey, uh, you know, you don't know me, but I'm a complete stranger. Can I spend the night at your house? How do you think that would have gone over?" But because they were believers, they were there to help them. Uh, when we first moved to Colorado, we were house hunting, and we were looking in the mountains in southern Colorado at that time in the Canales Canyon, and. Riding in a car with a realtor. The realtor was sitting in the front seat. I was sitting beside her. Wendy was sitting in the back. We were looking in a remote part of the mountains down in far southern Colorado, just north of Chama, New Mexico, if you know that area. And uh, as we're driving down this dirt road to look at this uh, cabin, this other car, pickup truck, was coming this way. Well, the realtor stopped the car, and they both rolled down their windows, and, and, and it turned out it was a pastor from that region. He was kind of the pastor to the canyon. And uh, she looked at him, and then she looked at me, and she goes, you guys have something in common. Now, this realtor was probably not a believer, but she knew that he was a pastor. She knew I was in ministry. She kind of leaned back. You guys need to talk to each other. So through the window, we exchanged cards, and, uh, and then we went on our way. Then we went back. We were staying with my parents who lived in Colorado at the time. Went back that end of that day after house hunting all day. And uh, I had an email waiting on me from that pastor, Pastor Lynn. Pastor Lynn and Tammy are now two of our closest friends in the world. I consider him our pastor. We just were visiting with them on our my last speaking engagement trip down to Texas. They live in Texas now. But anyway, uh, he, he never met me other than that brief time. And we kind of, he sent me this email, I emailed him back, told him a little bit about our story, how we were looking for houses and that we were thinking about that area. And he goes, 
why don't you guys just come over tonight and spend the night and camp out at our place for a couple days and look at houses. He'd never, he'd met me for five minutes. But you know what? Because of the common bond of the Holy Spirit, he knew that we were in need and he could help us out. And we did. And they've become dearest friends uh, to this day. So embrace the help of other believers. Uh, you know, we tend to take matters into our own hands. Rather than calling the repairman, call a, a brother. Hey, you got any ideas? How can I fix this? How can I do this? God puts believers in our lives to help us. The third rule is to engage in prayer with other believers. That's obviously one of the most important rules for the family of God. You know, when we were, when I was growing up, whenever we would take a trip, my dad would always circle the family up and we'd pray before we hit the road for any trip of any length. And Wendy's dad, uh, same thing. When we would were first married and even throughout our years until he passed away, we would, you know, whenever we came home to visit uh, Wendy's parents, before we left, they'd circle up and pray that we would have a safe journey back to wherever we lived at the time. And we've continued that tradition with our family. Anytime we go on a trip, we'll pray. After we've stopped at a hotel the next morning, when we get in the car, before we pull out of the parking space, we pray together. Uh, pray, praying with other believers is uh, very, very powerful. And when we see Paul engaging in this same practice, before leaving Tyre, he knelt down with his new friends, fellow believers, and he prayed. Listen to what we read in verse 5. When we had come to the end of those days, we departed and went on our way, and they all accompanied us with wives and children till we were out of the city, and we knelt down on the shore and prayed. Before they got on the boat and headed out, they prayed together. What a touching Scene. Women, family, children. Perhaps this is what Paul had in mind when he, just four or five months earlier, during his journey, he wrote his famous letter to the Romans, the book of Romans that we now have, and he had encouraged believers to pray. He said, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. If you're not praying with other believers, you are missing out on one of the greatest blessings of the Christian life. Uh, I have friends that we've made all throughout the country, and several of them, anytime I call them, before we, we'll talk and catch up and just, hey, how you doing? Before we finish, they'll say, hey, do you mind if I pray with you before we hang up? Uh, I love that. Seven months earlier, he had said something similar when he wrote his le letter to the Corinthians. He wrote this uh, while he was in Macedonia. Again, just seven months earlier, he said, Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and who does deliver us, in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. You also helping together in prayer for us. In the context here of this letter to St. Corinthians, he's talking about that dangerous riot that had happened in Ephesus. Remember we talked about this a few weeks ago? And Paul is crediting prayers of the saints for helping them escape. You also helping together in prayer for us. That's what he says. Time and again on his journeys, Paul witnessed the power of prayer. Do we engage in prayer with other believers? Three years later, after this, from a prison cell, Paul challenged the believers in his letter to the Ephesians, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Anybody know the context of this in Ephesians 6? Well, it's spiritual warfare. We've talked a lot about that. And uh, a lot of people forget 
you know, they, they quote Ephesians 6, 10 to 17 as the spiritual warfare passage. They leave off verse 18. It always irks me <laughs> because verse 18 is really the capstone. The key to fighting this unseen battle that is raging all around us is prayer. Prayer. We, we specifically need prayer now more than ever before because of uh, the spirit of the Antichrist that is on the rise all around us. He makes prayer central to our daily walks. In another one of his prison epistles, he says, Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. What is prayer? It's really not that complicated. One of my professors and mentors years ago said, Prayer is just talking to God. That's all it is. And what an incredible privilege. As simple as it is, it's incredibly powerful. And it's not, not that complicated. There's two sides to prayer, God's side and our side. You know, God takes the initiative by saying you know, that we should ask and knock and seek. In fact, flip over to Luke chapter 11. It's not on the screen, but um, I think I want to read this passage. This is the words of Jesus. And listen to what he said in, in Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 9. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from, a, uh, from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? In other words, God takes the initiative. He invites us to seek, ask, knock. I'm here to help, just like any father. He prompts our hearts to pray. And then the other side of the equation is our side. Now it's our move. Are we going to take Him at His offer? Are we going to... You know, respond in prayer? Uh, are we going to reach out to God? Are we going to do the ask and the, knee, the knock and the seek? And by the way, in, in the Greek text, the idea there is keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Uh, it's, a, it's a constant, ongoing thing. It reminds me of the story of the persistent widow. Remember that? Jesus told that story in Luke chapter 18, just a few uh, pages later. And then, uh, then, it's, then it's God's turn. After we've asked, you know, the invitation is offered, we respond in prayer, then it's God's side. And you better believe God answers prayer. God moves in response to our prayer. I don't understand how sovereignty can be reconciled with free will, but I know the Bible teaches both. And I know I've seen God answer prayers, and so have you. And so prayer brings a response from God. Sometimes the response is yes, sometimes it's no, sometimes it's wait. But once we've initiated the privilege of prayer, God will never ignore uh, our requests. So we need to engage in prayer with other uh, believers. When's the last time you prayed with someone who you knew was a believer but wasn't maybe a close friend or somebody, somebody you just met on the journey of life? Or when's the last time you prayed with any believer? We had some good friends that became good friends and we met them on a ministry trip in Alaska and uh, just they were it was a cruise actually that we were speaking at speaking on seven times over seven days and this couple had was taking the cruise and we spent the whole week with them we exchanged numbers and then they've come and visited us several times since then in the 10 years or so since then uh, and uh, the last time we saw them they circled up in prayer before they left we circled up in prayer before they left and they prayed for us 
and we were going through a difficult time at the time, just really an uncertain time and a trial of life, you know, kind of thing. And they prayed for us. And I'll never forget very specifically the prayer that the lady prayed. And we believe to this day that that moment of prayer is what has led us ultimately to where we are today at Plum Creek Chapel. We believe that. And that was just a, a special, special time. Well, there's a final rule that I want to mention from this passage, and that is enjoy every moment with believers because you don't know how long it will last. Paul's time with the believers at Tyre was short, seven days, and then he moved on. Sometimes God brings people or a person into your life for just a brief season. Make the most of it. Enjoy it. I... Uh, one of my dearest friends who passed away a few years ago, same age as me, six kids like us, he was a, a guy that uh, sadly I only got to really spend about two years with because uh, we, he came into our, we, we crossed paths, uh, you know, just before he passed away. Um, but he had uh, heard something or read something from Not By Works Ministries and reached out and we became fast friends. We had a common bond about so many things, common ground. He was very much awake to the Luciferian conspiracy. He was solid on the gospel, just a, a great man of God. And, and then just like that, he became my, my best friend. And just like that, the Lord took him in the middle of the night. He had a heart attack, didn't wake up. I went back to preach his funeral. We were in Colorado by that time. And Went back to Illinois to preach his funeral. We're still very dear friends with his wife, uh, Lacey, and their six kids. In fact, we just dialogued a little bit yesterday. But, you know, I can't tell you how much I wish I'd have spent more time with him. I took for granted. Yeah, he's young. He's like me. We're going to be friends forever. And uh, He was gone. Enjoy every moment with other believers. Back to the text. He said, when we had taken our leave of one another, we boarded the ship. And they returned home. Paul and Luke and their traveling party, they went one way, and their new friends went another. Sometimes that's the way it works when we meet believers on the journey of life. You know, we have memories of believers that we've met for special moments. We can't even remember their name, but we remember the incident. We remember what they look like. We remember that special moment. Sometimes we enjoy one another's company for a time and then we go our separate ways. Can you think of times that you've had fellowship with other believers for a season and then either moved on or perhaps the Lord's called them home? I can't help but read into Luke's characterization of this week-long visit that we read a moment ago. Remember he said, when we had come to the end of those days. Obviously I can't say for sure. It's just my speculation. But it seems like he's saying that with a heavy heart. You know, seven days was short, but it, it was meaningful. They prayed together. They spent time together. When they, when they left, they all accompanied them down to the shore as they got on the boat. Coming to the end is not usually fun when it's the end of something special. Something you enjoyed. Warm, intimate time with friends. Uh, now, of course, sometimes you can't wait to leave. Depends on the person you're with. But... but there are a lot of times when you think, you know, I just wish this didn't have to end. All good things have to come to an end, I know, but I wish this didn't have to end. And that's what I think we see 
here. We boarded the ship, and they returned home. Enjoy every minute with believers, especially newfound friends. You just never know how long uh, you'll have with them. I want to close with one more personal story that I think perfectly illustrates how every moment with believers counts and how we have this common bond on the journey of life with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, this is a story about my friend Ramon. I've known Ramon for several years now, though we've never met face to face. Uh, Ramon listens to the Not By Works radio show up in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and a few years ago it just so happened that the station was airing a series of interviews that I had done with believers who were sharing their testimony of how they came to faith. In fact, uh, Dennis's dad, I think, was on that series. I interviewed Dennis's dad up in Duluth, Minnesota, uh, on that particular series. Well, Ramon happened to be listening to that. It, it touched him. He was uh, going through a rough time uh, back then. The Lord had led him to that radio show. And uh, so he, he called out. He called my 1-800 number, called Not By Works Ministries. I returned his call, and we talked briefly. Uh, this was our first ever conversation. I, I clarified the message of grace a little bit, and then I sent him some free materials from Not By Works Ministries, a couple books and some DVDs, and he called me back after receiving that letter and the package. And I want to play the message with his permission for you. This was several years ago. We talk all, all the time now, never met uh, in person. He was supposed to meet when I was doing a conference up in that area, but he got COVID right before I, you know, he was supposed to come up, so he couldn't make the trip. Uh, but we'll meet someday, if not here in heaven someday. But I want you to notice the deep emotion in his voice. This is two weeks after our first call. He had uh, received the package. And then I'll tell you why this matters, and I'll tell you the rest of the story. Uh, calling you back. <clears throat> I spoke with you, I think it's two weeks now, and um, you sent me a small package of some books and some uh, CDs. Uh, I, have, I have poured myself over some of your material. I am, I, I just, if, if, if you have an opportunity to call me back whenever you're not busy in between conferences, whatever, would you have a, a moment. I, I'd like to speak with you if, if, if you don't mind. Um, so um, my number is 952-484-6079. And JV, I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much for your thoughtful gift. Uh, so yeah, if you could call me, I'd like to talk more about this. Thank you. Bye now. Now, I didn't know at the time what his full story was, but you can sense the emotion in his, in his voice. So when I called him back, he shared the rest of his story, which, again, perfectly illustrates how every moment with believers matters, however brief it might be. So here's the story. Through a series of poor choices at that time, Ramon was at a low point in his life, and his marriage had failed, and he was facing a few months in jail. He hadn't been sentenced yet, but he knew that was what was going to happen. Most of his friends and family had abandoned him. He felt alone and despondent. The Lord 
led him to the station on the dial and then led him to call us. But then as he was contemplating his situation, he remembered a Christian family that he had met more than 25 years earlier. He only had a short interaction with them back then, but they had told him at the time that they would always be there for him no matter what happened and that they considered him part of the family because of his faith. So he reached out to them, and guess what? They welcomed them into their home. They prayed for him. They encouraged him. They even washed his feet as a sign of brotherly love. And when it was time for him to serve his short sentence, the man took him to the jail and was there to pick him up when he was released. I've talked to Ramon many times since then. He's now just on fire for the Lord. He's teaching a Sunday school class. He's He's just, uh, I, I just love Ramon. I, I pray that we get to meet face to face someday. Uh, but what a sweet testimony of the love of Christ and that bond that we have as members of the family of God. Now that family probably had no idea how God was going to use that interaction 25 years earlier. So enjoy every moment. Make the most of every moment. You never know how God's going to use it and, and where it may end. So in the journey of life, what are some road rules? Well, we want to expect to find believers everywhere. Don't assume you're alone. Embrace the help of other believers. Engage in prayer with other believers. And then enjoy every moment while you have it. Who has God used in your life to provide help and prayer and guidance and encouragement? I, our list could, write, could fill pages. So what's the takeaway? Well, think about the big picture of life. Think about God's family on earth and how He puts all of us here for a reason for such a short time we've talked a lot about you know the rapture and eternity and the kingdom and the eternal state and all of that is so important but we're here now for a reason so the takeaway is enjoy the ride but remember the rules thank god for the community of faith the family of god i love that old <clears throat> chorus a lot of times churches would sing this at the end of their service you know i'm so glad i'm a part of the family of god I've been washed by the Spirit, cleansed by the blood. Join heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod, for I'm part of the family, the family of God. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful for the family of God. Lord, so many things to be thankful for this week as we, as we celebrated Thanksgiving. Certainly we're thankful for our salvation through the shed blood of Christ. Uh, we're, we're thankful for our physical provisions, the roof over our head, the clothes on our backs, the food in our stomachs. But Lord, help us to add to that list the very important blessing of having brothers and sisters in Christ that we can fellowship with, do life with together, count on, and, and, and help one another. Lord, we pray if there's anyone here today that is not part of that family, that they've never placed their faith in Jesus Christ, your Son and our Savior, that today in simple childlike faith, they would understand they're a sinner who needs a Savior and that only Jesus, who died and rose again for our sins, can give them forgiveness and eternal life. And I pray that today they would do that. And it's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together as we close.